See, as Jesus talks about wealth and he talks about money, as he warns them, he ties anxiety and worry to two basic needs, food and clothing. Jesus, as he's telling them, don't be anxious, the two things he focuses on are what we eat, what we wear. Of all the examples Jesus could give for not being anxious, why these two things? See, we can be anxious and worried about our families. We can be anxious and worried about the state of our country or this world. We can be anxious and worried about our future. We can be anxious and worried about all kinds of things. And Jesus chooses these two, seemingly the most basic. What we eat, what we wear. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is hitting on something that touches each of us to the core more deeply than any of the other worries. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. For those of you here in person, it is good to be in this chilly room with you. I apologize, it seems our heater is not working at the moment. So if you're a little cold, put on a coat and bundle up, and I apologize. For those of you on live stream, I hope your heat at home is working. Uh, every Sunday, I look forward to the opportunity not only to gather with you, but to like greet you and talk to you and see you face to face. And some Sundays, I get wonderful surprises, like today, uh, we have some friends who normally live stream from Louisiana who are vacationing in Knoxville this week, and they surprised us by being here in person. So for those of you who are live streaming, if you're ever in Knoxville, I'd love to see you face-to-face in person sometime. As we continue our series on simplicity, we are exploring this ancient practice of eliminating excess from our life so that we can, can begin to focus on God and the things he's doing and the work that he has in store for us. Here in America, we live in a culture where we are taught you need more all the time. If you want to be successful, if you want to be appreciated, if you want to have a good reputation, if you want other people to think well of you, whatever it is, you need more stuff. And this stuff clutters our lives and our hearts and our minds And we find ourselves filled with fear and worry and anxiety over the things we don't yet have, or maybe the things we have we're afraid we will lose. And we find ourselves distracted. So simplicity is the practice of changing our external life in order to reorganize our internal priorities. Eliminating things around us so that as we declutter physically, we can declutter emotionally and spiritually and, motion, or, and, and mentally. Now, 
this is the fifth week of this practice, and I don't know if you've noticed, so far in the first four weeks, all of the things we've challenged you to declutter have been things in your mind, right? Like simplifying your speech and learning when to speak up and when to say less. Simplifying your heart, learning what are the things most important to you and how do you organize your life around those. So far, the things we've simplified have not been physical. But today, today we're going to get into the first time in this series I'm going to encourage you to actually get rid of stuff. And it's stuff that hits really close to home for most of us. Clothes. Your closet. Let's be honest, how many of you have a closet that is overflowing with clothes and maybe you even have a second closet someplace else in the house? Anybody? And how many of you have clothes that you don't fit into, but you keep because someday you'll fit into them again, right? Or you have clothes that you bought and still have the tags on them and they've never been worn. Anybody? How many of you, when you hear the idea of eliminating clothes from your closet, are filled with anxiety, but I love those clothes and they look good on me and I can't get rid of them, right? Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 12 where Jesus speaks to this issue of clothes. Usually I mark in my Bible where I'm going to be reading from and I forgot to today, so whoops. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is confronted by a man who's testing him. He's like, hey, look, will you decide between me and my brother? Help us to figure out like who should get this stuff. And Jesus, he basically just shuts the guy down. He's like, that's not what I'm about and that's not what you should be about. And then he goes from there into this text, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, page 1087. If you're using one of our Bibles, if you're using your own or your phone, I don't know what page that's on. You ready? Here it goes. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouses nor barns. Yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. 
Now, for those of you who have been joining us either in person or online for the last several weeks, perhaps you've noticed we've already talked about this passage. Just three weeks ago, we spent the whole Sunday on this one passage. And perhaps you're sitting here going, Adam, why are you rehashing what we already talked about? Or maybe you're sitting here having joined us uh, in the last couple of weeks, and you never even noticed that we already talked about this, which just goes to prove we should talk about it again, or maybe you don't listen to me. That's okay, too. Again, we're coming back to Luke chapter 12. And the reason for this is I believe there's so much depth to what Jesus has to say, it's worth repeating. It's worth going back and looking at his words again from another perspective and another angle, seeing something deeper that we didn't talk about the first time. See, as Jesus talks about wealth and he talks about money, as he warns them, he ties anxiety and worry to two basic needs. Food and clothing. Jesus, as he's telling them, don't be anxious, the two things he focuses on are what we eat, what we wear. Of all the examples Jesus could give for not being anxious, why these two things? See, we can be anxious and worried about our families. We can be anxious and worried about the state of our country or this world. We can be anxious and worried about our future. We can be anxious and worried about all kinds of things. And Jesus chooses these two, seemingly the most basic, what we eat and what we wear. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is hitting on something that touches each of us to the core more deeply than any of the other worries. First, our food. Don't worry about what you will eat. Doesn't God provide for the birds? How much more important are you than the birds? Why food? Well, I am in the process with Adam. We're both together trying to lose weight. And you know the problem with losing weight? We really like food. Do, any of you? This conference I was at, they were very adamant. We want you to not only learn new things, we want you to rest. And so if you sat down in their grassy field of a courtyard at their school and you just wanted to soak in the Arizona sun for just a few minutes, you could not sit there for longer than three or four minutes without one of their students from the school coming by with literally buckets full of food. And it was like, do you want some ice cream bars? We've got four different types. And I'm like, no thanks, I'm good. And then two minutes later, somebody else came by. Do you want some churros? No thanks, I'm good. And then a couple minutes later, do you want some bacon? And you're like, I don't know what any of these have to do with each other, but I probably should have some, right? <laughs> and food was constantly provided for us. There's something about food that nourishes not only our bodies, but our souls. And something that with food causes us to want to eat more and more for fear of not having enough. Or for fear not only of not having enough, but maybe you miss out on that really delicious food, so you go back for seconds because it was so good, <laughs> even though you're so full, you don't need any more. And you find yourself instead feeling worse. Maybe that's just me. Jesus... <laughs> He, talk, he talks about food because food touches our heart. I believe wholeheartedly the way to any man's heart is through his stomach. Prove me wrong. Invite me over to dinner. I'll love you forever. Promise. But you see, part of why food touches our heart so dearly 
is it pulls at the very thing in the beginning that tore us away from God. See, in the very beginning when God created the whole world and Adam and Eve, everything was good. And he put them in a garden filled with all kinds of things to eat. Everything they could imagine that tasted wonderful, he handed it to them on a platter. So the only thing I ask is you don't eat of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when we think of knowledge in our Western culture, we often think of knowledge like intellectual assent, right? The ability to comprehend and understand and rationalize. But knowledge in Scripture is so much deeper. It's about an experiential power that changes us. To know someone or something is to be completely consumed by and trans transformed by that experience. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil God said, don't eat from that tree. And of course, what do they do? They eat from it. Now, if you think about it, they, they were placed in a garden where everything was good. In fact, so far in the story, the first two chapters of, of Scripture, everything God makes is good. Everything. So to know deeply what was good and what was evil, what were they lacking? They were lacking the experience of evil, the problem of pain, the reality of suffering. And God said, I don't want you to eat of that fruit. I don't want you to know what suffering and pain and sorrow and anguish are like. But they chose to eat of it. And in doing so, they became open to this awareness that everything in them was now broken. In fact, what happens after they eat of it, look at this in verse 7, Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, in the eating of the thing they were commanded not to eat, their eyes became opened to an awareness of a problem that wasn't a problem beforehand. Nakedness. Throughout Scripture, the idea of nakedness is portrayed as shameful, sinful, vulnerable. I mean, imagine if you had to walk in here today without clothes on. How would you feel? Hopefully not comfortable. I think every one of us at some point in our life has had a dream, right? And the dream we have, we're public speaking, which is terrifying for most of us, myself included at times. And then just when we think it couldn't get any worse, we realize we have no pants on and we're in our underwear. Anybody have that dream before? No, just me? Okay. You guys should try public speaking. Maybe you'll start having that dream. I don't know. There's something about being naked that leaves us feeling completely exposed and vulnerable. After eating the fruit they were commanded not to eat, they discover that they're naked and they sow for themselves fig leaves to cover themselves. See, part of why Jesus touches on clothing when he talks about anxiety is you and I in our very broken nature, we create clothing as an attempt to hide. We seek to hide from other people that they don't see what's going on on the inside. We seek to hide all of our shame and the things we don't want people to know about us, ourselves. If only we dress the right way, or if only we're wearing the right things, or we have enough clothing, if then things will be okay. 
And rather than confront the ugly truth that on the inside we are naked and vulnerable and afraid, we just hide behind the comfort of one new outfit or pair of shoes or clothing. Now, not all of us equally struggle with this. And for some of us, we've never even considered it. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus doesn't talk about anxiety connected to food and clothing by accident. What we put on changes us. And I don't mean that like having good clothes or bad clothes is is good or bad. Like you can have nice, fancy clothes, but it will transform the way you think about yourself and the world around you. And so, are we approaching our clothing with a need to hide or with something else altogether? Now, when we talk about clothing, especially in the church, there is a reality we need to address up front. Sometimes what we put on has been used as a means to shame and harass other people. Sometimes in some context we've said, if you don't dress good enough, you're not welcome in this place. And in other contexts, we've said, based on what you've, or how you've dressed, you deserve how you're being treated. I know that clothing is such a sensitive and sometimes difficult thing. And so as I wanted to continue this conversation and and share with you what Scripture has to say about the way we dress, I decided the best thing for me to do would be to not actually be the one to share with you some of the more difficult and sensitive parts. So I want to invite, I don't see where she's at, but I want to invite Emily. Where are you at today? Right in the back by the baby. Congratulations, Weaver family. They had a baby this week. It's exciting. And Carrie's here today, so what's your excuse? (laughs) So in order to continue talking about the reality of clothing and how it hits close to home, I thought it'd be best to let Emily speak to a perspective that she can offer better than me. So thanks, Emily. Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to start with the verse from... um, First Timothy. I don't know if it's up there or not, but he says, this is Paul talking to Timothy. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. And I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Clothing can be a sticky subject. Um, at first, you may be like, you guys are being overdramatic. This is fine. Clothes are fine. I'm fine. Um, and don't get me wrong, I really love to be overdramatic. I love to overthink things and overcomplicate things, but I don't think that we're doing that here. For one, uh, we just talked about Jesus talking about clothes. For two, we just heard Paul talk about clothes. For three, Peter talks about clothes. And for four, I would challenge you to think back on your life and the emotions and circumstances and insecurities that came with clothes. And ladies, like he said, I think there are some specific experiences we have, shared experiences we have when it comes to clothes. Two things come to mind for me. First, the effects of purity culture. And second, uh, the constant pressure from ads and life in general to stay beautiful. Uh, We can hit that passage again in 1 Timothy, specifically verse 9. I want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, 
adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay, so depending on your history with faith and specifically the church, these verses may make your skin crawl. Paul writing, I want women to dress modestly, got very warped there for a while, uh, at least in my experience in the 90s. Maybe it happened throughout other times. Um, and it ri- turned into the rise of what's now called purity culture. Did I own a t-shirt that had modest is hottest across the front? Sure did. Sure did. Um, I also sat through multiple youth group type scenarios where I was told to dress certain ways. The loudest message being conveyed was cover up in order to not make my brothers in Christ stumble. In Houston, Texas, mind you, that is a very hot place to live. Uh, The worst was one summer when all the boys got to go outside and play ultimate frisbee. Well, all the girls had to stay inside and were told to get rid of our V-necks. These conversations may sound innocent enough, like we should honor the Lord in everything we do, including our bodies, but they were happening in churches all over the country until a whole generation of women were essentially taught to feel ashamed about their bodies and at fault if a man ever stumbled. We still see and experience the uh, reverberations of that today. And that, ladies, having the pressure of an entire gender's sexuality and holiness on your shoulders is absolutely not of God. And good news, it's also not even what Paul's talking about here. He was referring less to sexual holiness and more to socioeconomic differences. If we we read that, I want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, we can see that women were coming into the gathering, flaunting their wealth through their clothes and their jewelry, and that was an issue. That was divisive and distracting in a place where we're worshiping a God who says he's about unity and peace. And we may not be in a church the point, come as you are, or even a city, the scruffy city, that puts much stock in gold or pearls. Thank the Lord. Anybody else really happy we live in the scruffy city? They don't care about gold and pearls? Amen. Um, But that doesn't mean we don't put stock in what we wear, in our clothes. Like Adam said, clothes matter. They matter to God, and whether you want to admit it or not, they matter to us. And it probably isn't gold or pearls, but maybe it's wearing Patagonia, or maybe it's uh, a sense of coolness you get from thrifting, because thrifting is very freaking cool. Um, Maybe it's a sense of worthiness when you really like how you look that day. Whatever it is, whenever we begin to put our sense of self and our worth in our outfits and our appearance, instead of finding our confidence in who we are in Christ, things can get sticky. Whenever we use outfits and appearance as a way of even subconsciously manipulating the people around us or trying to compensate for something we feel like we lack, instead of finding confidence in who we are in Christ, things can get sticky. And this leads us into what I think is our second shared experience, ladies, which is the constant subliminal and in your face (laughs) marketing of the fashion industry. Fashion is literally a popular trend Something uh, that is considered attractive at the time in question. So by its own definition, fashion is fleeting. 
This doesn't mean we can't have style or want to look our best, whatever that means for you, but it does mean that you have permission to stop chasing the latest. I was the second daughter to be born in my family, which means I had bins and bins of hand-me-down clothes to choose from throughout my childhood. I really, really wanted fleeting fashion. I wanted fleeting fashion. But fashion will continue to tweak its trends so you can never and will never keep up. Fashion will tell you you can look younger or older. You can appeal to the kinds of people you want to appeal to. You can be the version of yourself that you want to be. But to be this person, you have to buy more and more and more. God is not asking any of that from you. He made you on purpose and with purpose. He likes what you look like. And he's much more concerned with your heart than the hat on your head. Peter says it like this in the message version. I told y'all Peter was going to say something about it. Uh, What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. So cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God that way and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham would address him as my dear husband, which sounds like pride and prejudice. Um, but it was before that. Uh, You'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same, unanxious and unintimidated. I want to hit on that unanxious and unintimidated. So if you'll do me a favor, close your eyes for a second. Think about all the ads you see on a daily basis. Maybe it's magazines or on TV. Maybe it's Instagram influencers or honestly just people in your own life who, who you feel like you have to compare yourself to. All these ads... They're telling you you're not enough quite yet, but you can be, you will be. Just get this jacket, not jacket, jacket. Get this skin cream. It really starts to be anxiety inducing after a while. So keep your eyes closed and hear this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You can open your eyes. You are loved as you are by the God who created you as you are and is in the business of transforming hearts or inner beauty, if you will, and restoring souls. The practice of simplifying your clothes and apparel will help you find and stay in that promise that you are loved by God and find confidence in that promise that you are loved by God. So, walk in confidence as his daughters and sons. Thank you. Thank you for that, Emily. See, the truth of the matter is our clothing and what we wear can be a source of anxiety and constant pressure for more or better. And and as Adam and Eve created clothes out of fig leaves, which I don't know if you know much about leaves, they quickly decay and need to be replaced. As they created clothes as a means to hide their shame and their vulnerability. We see in the very same story that God shows up and he's walking through the garden. He says, where are you? Because they're hiding from God himself. 
He says, who told you you were naked? And then comes a series of consequences as a result of their sinful behavior. But afterwards is this one little thing that we can very easily skip over. Chapter 3, verse 21 says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You see, even in the midst of their sinfulness and their brokenness and their shame and their hiding, even in the middle of all of their pain, God takes and makes garments of skin, which requires death. In fact, the very first death that happens in Scripture is God putting something to death so that the skin or the nakedness and the shame and the vulnerability of Adam and Eve could be covered. See, for you and me, the really good news is that it is God who puts to death that our sin and shame can be covered. Ultimately, in Jesus, His Son, who was killed for us, that all of our anxiety and worry and stress and fear and nakedness and shame, every struggle and sin could be covered by His blood and the life that He promises. See, where we create clothing to hide, God creates it for Adam and Eve and in turn for you and me to provide. Provide for our needs, provide for our comfort in a cold sanctuary, jackets to keep us warm, to provide for all of this life. So clothing is not bad. Style isn't bad. I don't have much style, but some people here do. And having style and expressing artistic beauty in the clothing you wear, that's a good thing. So long as it's centered in who you are in Jesus, more than an attempt to become somebody you wish to be. So how do we begin to simplify our life? Well, let's look first at a few statistics of the reality of clothing in our culture, and then we'll get into how we eliminate this. So in the 1960s, about 95% of all clothing purchased or worn in the United States was made in the United States. Today, about 2% of all clothing that you and I wear is made or uh, created here. Now that in and of itself is not inherently a problem, except because most of it is made somewhere else, the very act of constantly consuming more clothes and needing something new all the time, it furthers all sorts of pollution and waste because when you get something new, most often you replace something old. Americans, on average, uh, discard and get rid of, um, I think it's almost 80 pounds of clothing or apparel every single year. 80 pounds of stuff we're either taking to Goodwill or Carm or, or give, throwing away because it's ripped and it's trash. Imagine how much fills the landfills just because you and I need more clothes. The average woman in America today has 30 full outfits in her closet, spends over 100 hours a year shopping for new clothes, and an additional 40 hours a year shopping for new shoes. That's the average woman. So maybe that's not you. But that's many of us. This isn't just a thing for women or for men. The average American wears any item, shoes or clothing, seven times total before discarding it and moving on to something else. 
See, part of the problem with this need for more clothing is we become incredibly wasteful. Wasteful of the resources God has given to us. Wasteful of the time and the energy it takes to consume more. Wasteful of all sorts of mental capacity. There's also an ethical conundrum that comes from our need for more. Did you know that one in six people around the whole world work in the garment industry? Either producing or designing or selling, one in six people work making your clothes. Of those, 80% of them are women, and 98% of the people who work in the garment industry make less than a livable wage. So our need to constantly consume more fuels the life of other people working too much to not be able to survive. When we choose to simplify our clothing, we get to intentionally say, not only do I want to find my value in Jesus and my worth in what he has done, on top of that, I want to take a stand against this disposable throwaway culture that treats the people working in this industry as disposable as well. And I want to say enough is enough. So how do we go about simplifying our wardrobe? Well, I'm going to give you three things you can do this week or begin doing and working towards to simplify your wardrobe. First, there's the idea of actually adopting limits on what we purchase or what we wear. And the first idea of limits would be what's called a capsule wardrobe. Identify 25 or 30 pieces of clothing that can be interchanged to make a whole host of outfits. Now, this is not talking about your undergarments, just the stuff other people see, all right? 25 or 30 pieces of clothing and get rid of everything else. Could you do that? Like, that's really tough. What if I don't have enough? How many of you wear more than 30 pieces of clothes in a day? You will have enough clothes with 30 pieces you could interchange to make all sorts of different outfits. You'll have plenty. So one idea to simplify your wardrobe as you begin to clean out your closet is to say, this is my capsule. These are the staple items I want. Now with that, if you're buying your clothes at Kroger or Walmart or Target, there's a really good chance that they were cheaply made with cheap materials, and if you try to make them your staple you're wearing all the time, they're eventually going to wear out really quickly. So if you choose to simplify your wardrobe because you're not spending a whole lot of money on a regular basis on cheap stuff, you can begin to save to buy quality stuff that will last longer, which means less stuff discarded and less people having to make that stuff without getting paid adequately. A capsule wardrobe is one way to limit your clothing. Another option out there is what's called the uh, scheduled wardrobe. It's sometimes also referred to as the 10-item wardrobe. Pick 10 outfits or 10 items and schedule what you will wear on what day. Like imagine if when you got up, you're like, today's a Monday, this is what I'm wearing today. And there's no questions asked about that. Tuesday, this is what I'm wearing. How much of our mental energy do we spend trying to figure out the right outfit each day? How much of our emotional energy do we spend trying to make sure, will this be the thing that makes me look the best for that event or presentation or person or moment? Imagine if you just scheduled your life and said, on Mondays I wear this, on Tuesdays I wear that. 
You could have one outfit for every day of the week, and I bet you it would take several weeks before somebody noticed that you repeated the same outfit uh, each Monday. Maybe even months. Or maybe you could decide to take it a step further and say, I don't need a different outfit every day. I could do like three outfits that I just rotate every three days and wear them twice a week. I can almost promise you if you show up next Sunday in the exact same thing you're wearing today, I won't notice because I will have forgotten. So will most other people. To simplify your wardrobe can commit to even a lifestyle like that, or you can go perhaps to the most extreme practice of simplicity in your wardrobe. It's called the uniform lifestyle or wardrobe. Throughout history, the uniform has been a means of communicating that what we wear is not who we are. Monks and priests and even political leaders all throughout history have had certain clothes they wore every day as a means of saying, my clothing does not define me. Today in our modern culture, the uniform lifestyle is even a means of expressing creative and artistic expression. Like, consider Steve Jobs. What did he wear? Anybody know? What did he wear every day? What? I can't hear you. A black turtleneck every single day. He never changed. He had a closet full of black turtlenecks. How much thought goes into getting dressed in the morning? None. You pull it out of the closet, you put it on, you're good. Done. Not just Steve Jobs. President Barack Obama, he wore the same two suits or colored suits every single day. And he intentionally said, I, I want to eliminate the small decisions so that I can focus on the big decisions. Maybe Hillary Clinton. What did she wear every day? A pantsuit. And she had like a dozen different colors, right? But she wore the same thing every day. Or maybe you're not a fan of either or any of those people. What about the fashion designer Giorgio Armani? Literally, Armani. Right? If you haven't heard of that name, it's a big Italian name for really expensive clothing, okay? He wore the same outfit every single day, despite the fact that he was known worldwide for being a designer of new clothes. Same with Carl Lagerfeld or Richard Branson or Mark Zuckerberg, most people in this world who are really, really successful have eliminated the choice of what they wear in the morning. And so if you want to simplify your life to perhaps the most extreme, consider eliminating everything from your closet but one look. You're like, that sounds really boring. Okay. So make that one look look really, really good. All right? For me, my wardrobe, I, as I've been practicing this and em emptying my closet, a couple weeks ago, Laura and I went through and we got rid of like eight bags of stuff. It was awesome. It's so freeing. And now we have so much room in our closet that with both of our clothes hung in the closet, there's still probably this much extra space. And it's just like a standard closet. It's not even a big walk-in. It feels great. I have like eight plain t-shirts and one polo. It's super simple. And I'm finding, personally, that the less I have to think about what I'm wearing, the more I really don't care what I'm wearing. I can just focus on who God made me to be, what he's doing today and what he's wanting to do tomorrow, and it's super freeing. So this is my challenge to each of you this week. Knowing that God has provided clothing to cover our shame and nakedness, that God covers all of our embarrassing things, the things we don't want people to know. 
knowing that your identity is not found in what you wear, but in who God says you are? What would it look like this week? Or for those of you on vacation, when you get home next week, what would it look like to go through your closet and to begin to get rid of things? Here's one final statistic for you. Do you know that 80% of the time, you only wear 20% of your clothes? Which means the vast majority of your time, your clothes hang there, cluttering your mind and your thoughts, and you're never going to touch them. What if you got rid of them and began to make space in your closet to simplify your heart, to focus on God and experience who he says you are? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are good. Where we use our clothing as a means to hide, God, you invite us to not be anxious or worried. You invite us to trust that you will provide for our every need, that you will be enough. You invite us, Lord, to not seek what is constantly changing, the newer and the better, the fad, the fleeting fashion, but instead to pursue you find our worth and our value in who you say we are. May we begin to simplify our clothes, to push against this culture that says you need more and more clothing and shoes and stuff in our closets. And God, may we begin to be a people who find our rest and our peace and our joy holy in how you have provided for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship this morning, we're going to collect an offering. But before we do that, I want to invite my friend Will Boggs. Come on up, Will. Will is the founder of Raising a Voice. Uh, if you're not familiar with Raising a Voice, luckily for you, he's going to share more about that here in a moment. And, and not only is Raising a Voice a really cool organization, you should in some sense know a little bit about them because we drink their coffee every Sunday morning, all right? So if you've had coffee here, you can thank Will. It's entirely because of him. Now, I'm going to let you share a little bit about what Raising a Voice is and what you guys do. Good morning. How is everybody? Hi, Owen. Hi, good. Awesome. It's a pleasure to be here. I've actually never been to this church on a Sunday morning, so thank you for inviting me. Uh, honestly, found the worship and the sermon to be very encouraging. So y'all are in a great place. Excited for all of you all as you venture into your, your faith journey here in Knoxville. Um, my wife and I founded Raising a Voice in 2015. We're literally like right down the street. Um, so Raising a Voice owns Likewise Coffee. So if you like the coffee, it's ours. If you don't, it's Adam's. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, our coffee shop's two blocks away. Um, but what really Raising a Voice does is we work with vulnerable and exploited women here in East Knoxville. Um, so we have what we call a drop-in center. It's essentially a day program where women can come um, just as they are. We meet them where they're at um, to get clothes, to take a shower, to meet with a social worker, to help them get an ID, to help them apply for food stamps, just kind of where, wherever they're at. Um, raising a voice exists to meet these women where they're at and act as the bridge to help them get to where they're trying to go. Um, and we're really, we really try to be intentional about names. Um, just like clothes matter, names matter. People pay attention to names. Um, and so raising a voice 
is what I hear a lot of people say very often is, you know, people that are vulnerable, people that are exploited, people that are downtrodden, um, you, you hear this idea of give, give a voice to the voiceless. And, and really our perspective is being in relationship with those people because they have a voice, you're just not close enough to hear it. Um, and being in proximity and being in relationship with the people that are struggling, the, whether that be women in prostitution for us, whether that be the homeless at CARM a couple blocks away as well, whether that be foster children, whether that be your neighbors, um, just being in relationships and being in proximity with the people that you're trying to serve is super important. Um, and so my, my challenge to you all as far as raising a voice or just your life in general is just be present. Be where God's called you to be. Uh, if that's with raising a voice and that's serving vulnerable and exploited women, I'd love to talk to you. If that's serving your neighbors, if that's serving the homeless, if that's serving your family, if that's serving this church, whatever it be, just be, be present and be in relationship with people. Um, one of our, our core beliefs, one of our, our Bible verses that we focus on a lot is the woman at the well. I'm sure most of y'all are, are somewhat familiar with that story. Um, and you have Jesus have this encounter with this woman. And most of us are familiar with that encounter to a certain extent. But the verse that we focus on a lot is a little bit further. Um, I think it's John 4, 39. And it talks about where the woman went into the town and many Samaritans came to believe because of her testimony. Um, and that's the power and that's the belief that we have for the women that we serve right? These women that are often not focused on, that are looked down upon by individuals, by our society, that they are so many ways that they go overlooked. We really believe that they have the power in their testimony for Jesus to transform their life, but for them to transform the community in which they live. Um, And and that's our hope is to walk alongside them um, and really starting to invest into East Knoxville. Um, My wife and I live in East Knoxville. Our coffee shop's in East Knoxville. Our nonprofit's in East Knoxville. Uh, we really believe there's a lot of ways to impact a community. And so finding your specific way to impact a community is, is huge. Um, kind of as I, as I wrap up the story of, of Likewise, how we came up with the name. Like I said, names matter. Um, likewise comes from the story of the Good Samaritan when Jesus says, go and do likewise. Um, really representing being a good neighbor to whoever you're in relationship with. So whether that's East Knoxville, whether that's downtown, whether it's South Knoxville, West Knoxville, wherever, um, just focus on being present, being in relationship with the people that you know, um, and serving them in, in the best way that you can. Um, so that's my, my focus. That's our heart. Like I said, raising a voice, we, we do a lot of things. I, I try not to focus on what we do if you want to check out our website, it's raisingavoice.org. That's what, that'll tell you what we do. Um, when I speak with people, I really try to emphasize not what we do, but how we do it. Um, and being an intentional and being in relationships and being in proximity to the people that you serve is, is super important. So it's great to get to, to meet all of you. Uh, little, like I said, literally <laughs> church is like five blocks away from our coffee shop. So come visit us anytime. We're open Monday to Saturday. So thank you all so much. Thanks, Will. Now, before you leave and before you sit down, I've got, I got a quick question for you. Uh, as they begin to empty out their closets this week of the good stuff, not just the stuff that should have been thrown away a decade ago, do you, uh, as you give away clothes, do you have need for clothing yes. for women? So 
So we'll take women's clothes at pretty much any time. That's kind of, we always take women's clothes and we always take hygiene products. So shampoo, toiletries, toothpaste, all that kind of stuff. But if you're, if you're getting rid of women's clothing, if you'll drop them at Likewise Coffee, um, we have a closed closet at the, at the drop-in center where women can use and have them for themselves. Thanks, Will. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Today, as we collect our offering, um, one of the things I want to do to bless raising a voice in the work they're doing is half of this week's offering, 50% of it, we're just going to give straight to them to do with as whatever they'd please. So if you came prepared today to give an offering, if you would like to give something above and beyond extra and special to help serve and bless them, you can do so in the popcorn buckets in the back corners of the sanctuary as you leave. Uh, with cash or check, uh, you can put it in the little envelope if you'd like to write your name on it. Um, or if you came prepared to give online or would like to give a special extra gift to Raising a Voice, you can do so at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Now, this is the part of the service where I do my best to respond to the questions that you text in. Last week, you texted in a bunch of tough ones for uh, the other Adam to respond to. So uh, I hope you got all your tough ones out of the way, and today's are easy. They weren't just picking on me. There's five today. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, just jump right in, I guess. Sure. Okay. This is uh, two parts. First, it says, Jesus loves me and my tattoos is a staple in my wardrobe, but for some reason, I can't replace it. Maybe we're out of the t-shirts, I guess. You can't replace it because we're out, but we're going to order more. I've been saying that for a while. We just keep not yet doing it. So if you want to replace that shirt, uh, let me know, and that way we can know your size and make sure we order the right size when we do order them. Second part, same person. Also, Vestimus would be the perfect way to simplify your Sunday wardrobe, Adam. I could simplify. In fact, that's why in some churches you see the pastor wearing the robe. Uh, the reason for that is so that you and I are not distracted by who is the person preaching. We don't get focused on, I like their style or the way they look. Instead, we can look upon those robes and say, oh, this is the pastor who's speaking on behalf of God in this place. Um, which is an attempt to simplify and eliminate any ego or pride that I may bring to the process. So that is an option for simplifying on Sunday morning. If you're ever interested, I have them in the back. Uh, they're warm. I wouldn't be cold today. That'd be great. But Next question. It says, I did an experiment on my coworkers one time and wore the same cardigan for an entire week. No one noticed. Trust me, people are looking at you, not your clothes. Hey, Taylor Swift is all about that cardigan, so if she can rock it, you can too. If any of my coworkers are watching, I wore this on Friday, so yeah. Uh, okay, so great question. Next question says, what does modesty look like in modern day for women? I don't know. My simplest answer is I think modesty looks different in each person. And so what I would encourage is as you get dressed or pick out your wardrobe, are you intentionally seeking to draw the attention to yourself so that others see how great you look or how wonderful you are or your accomplishments or achievements? Then I don't care if you're wearing a burqa. If that's why you're doing it, you're probably doing it for the wrong reason. Um, I don't think modesty means you can't look good or um, feel good in your clothes. I just don't know what that looks like. So um, if you want to know more, maybe Emily can help come up with some answers for that. I'll put her on the spot. <laughs> 
I think a lot of people will relate to this next question. It said, you said food nourishes our bodies and we shouldn't worry about what we are going to eat. When I'm depressed and going through life issues, the first thing that goes is my appetite. What do you think this could mean spiritually? Yeah, I think when we are in a mental state where we're depressed or anxious or struggling, it's hard to care for ourselves because in a large part we don't see ourselves as being worth cared for. Um, which is why we need other people around us to bring us food or to encourage us, hey, let me take you out to lunch. And you might not be super hungry, but I'll buy you something. You can take it home and eat it when you are hungry. Or let me encourage you like you are worth being cared for. And so I, I think that's what it says about us spiritually is that we're, um, when we're emotionally or mentally in a place where we don't feel enough or distracted or, or disconnected from God, we often don't care for ourselves well. Last one, it's a doozy, so it says, why do we waste time in our day to pray to God, like for example, praying for the Ukraine against Russia to help win the war? My personal opinion is that praying is great, but we should, the wording, we should reach out to hold, to do the work for him to help while Ukraine or anyone else should try it alone. So why do we pray when we should be doing work to try to make a difference? And the simple answer is uh, we should be doing both. If your prayer life doesn't move you to get involved and make a difference, you might be praying for the wrong things. And if you get involved without prayer, you might be getting involved in the wrong things that you are way out of your league to actually make a difference on. So I think you should do both, pray for and do something about whatever it is that you are um, doing. And sometimes the things we pray for, we can do nothing about. Like, I can't go and fight in Ukraine or for Russia, like whichever side, I can't be there on the ground making a difference. I could give money towards an organization that is. I could um, raise a voice and say, hey, here's an issue we need to come alongside and learn more about and, and invest ourselves in. But I, I can't physically do much at the moment with some things. So. Yeah, Jesus' brother James wrote a lot about faith plus works. Our faith yeah. should cause us to put that in action. So is that all the questions? It's all the questions. They gave you the much tougher ones. No Thank doubt. you. I appreciate you guys. So with that in mind then, receive this blessing before you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.